0: chapter 14, verse 1. We're dealing now with the famous story of Samson. Samson went down to Temna, and at Temna he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. And he came up and he told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughter of the Philistines at Temna. Now get her for me as my wife. But his father and mother said to him, Is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives, or among all our people, That you must go and take a wife from an uncircumcised Philistine? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. His father did not know it was from the Lord, for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. At that time the Philistines ruled over Israel. Then Samson went down with his father and his mother to Temna, and they came to the vineyards of Temna, and behold, a young lion came toward him roaring. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat, but he did not tell his father or mother what he had done. Then he went down and talked with the woman, and she was right in Samson's eyes. After some days he returned to take her, and he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion, and behold, there was a swarm of bees in the body of the lion and honey. And he scraped it out into his hands and went on eating as he went. And he came to his father and mother and gave some to them and they ate. But he did not tell them that he had scraped the honey from the carcass of a lion. His father went down to the woman and Samson prepared a feast there, for so the young men used to do. As soon as the people saw him, they brought 30 companions to be with him. And Samson said to them, let me now put a riddle to you, if you can tell me what it is. Within the seven days of the feast, and find out then, I will give you thirty linen garments and thirty changes of clothes. But if you cannot tell me what it is, then you shall give me thirty linen garments and thirty changes of clothes. And they said to him, Put your riddles that we may hear it. And he said to them, Out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. And in three days they could not solve the riddle. On the fourth day they said to Samson's wife, entice your husband to tell us what the riddle is, lest we burn you and your father with fire. Have you invited us here to impoverish us? And Samson's wife wept over him and said, you only hate me and do not love me. You have put a riddle to my people and you have not told me what it is. And he said to her, behold, I have not told my mother nor my father, shall I tell you? She wept before him the seven days that their feast lasted. And on the seventh day he told her because she pressed him hard. Then she told the riddle to her people, and the men of the city said to him on the seventh day before the sun went down, What is sweeter than honey, and what is stronger than a lion? And he told them, If you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have found out my riddle. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and he went down to Ashkelon, and struck down thirty men of the town, and took their spoil, and gave their garment who had told him the riddle. In hot anger, he went back to his father's house. And Samson's wife was given to his companions, who had been his best man. That was a very sad day, folks. Chapter 15, verse 1. After some days, at the time of the wheat harvest, Samson went to visit his wife with a young goat. And he said, I will go into my wife in the chamber. But her father would not allow him to go in. And her father said, I really thought that you utterly hated her, so I gave her to your companion. Is not her younger sister more beautiful than she? Please take her instead. And Samson said to them, This time I shall be innocent in regard to the Philistines when I do them harm. So Samson went and caught three hundred foxes and took torches. And he turned them tail to tail and put a torch between each pair of tails. And when he set fire to the torches, he let the foxes go into the standing grain of the Philistines and set fire to the stacked grain and to the standing grain as well as to the olive orchards. Then the Philistines said, Who has done this? And they said, Samson, the son-in-law of the Temnite, because he has taken his wife and given her to his companions. And the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. Now, wow, I want you to notice this woman never escaped her fate and samson said to them is this what you do i swear i will be avenged on you and after that i will quit and he struck them hip and thigh with a great blow and he went down and stayed in the cleft of the rock of Etam. then the philistines came and encamped in judah and made a raid on lehi and the men of judah said why have you come up against us and they said we have come to bind samson and do to him as he did to us then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock at them and said to Samson, Do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? What then is this that you have done to us? And he said to them, As they did to me, so I have done to them. And they said to him, We have come down to bind you, that we may give you into the hand of the Philistines. And Samson said to them, Swear to me that you will not attack me yourselves. And they said, No, we will only bind you and give you into their hands. We will surely not kill you. So they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. When he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting to meet him. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. And the ropes that were on his arms became as flax that has caught fire, and the bonds melted off his hands. And he found the fresh jawbone of a donkey, And he put out his hand and took it, and with it he struck a thousand men. And Samson said, With the jawbone of a donkey heap upon heaps, With the jawbone of a donkey have I struck down a thousand men. As soon as he finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone out of his hand, and that place was called Ramathlihi. And he was very thirsty, and he called upon the Lord and said, You have granted this great salvation by the hand of your servant, And shall I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? And God split open the hollow place that is at Lehi, and water came from it. And he drank, and his spirit returned, and he revived. Therefore the name of it was called En-Hakor, that is at Lehi to this day. And he judged Israel in the days of the Philistines twenty years. Twenty years he he provided leadership for the people of Israel. Now, isn't it notice? Isn't it interesting to notice what God does? Here is a man who has just killed a thousand men in battle. And he says, God, are you going to let me die of thirst now? He's faint. He's weak because of a lack of water. God splits open a hollow place and provides him water. God makes a way. God makes a way where there is no way. God provides where there is no provision. You you have to understand at some point, brothers and sisters, that God doesn't need anything to bring provision. He can just make it happen. Now, I, I say that because some of you... You think that God needs something to work with. He had nothing to work with there. It was just rock. He split the rock open and water came out. God can make a way where there is no way for you to. Amen? All right. Let's open up our hearts and spend some more time in worship. New Testament passage today, picks up in John chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. Now, I want you to notice when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John. He withdrew. Sometimes there's a principle here. Sometimes you withdraw from success. Now, I know that the world says, strike while the iron is hot. You know, when things are working, you press in and do even more. But I want you to notice Jesus backed up. Now, we don't know all the reasons why. We don't know if it's because Jesus did not want an intense persecution period to start yet. We don't know whether Jesus did not want John, his forerunner, to be discredited in some way. But sometimes in the midst of success, you have to look around and go, is this the right thing to do right now? And sometimes you just back away from success. And he had to pass through Samaria, verse 4. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the village that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. So I want you to notice that Jesus was wearied. Jesus was fully human. Sometimes we forget that Jesus was not only fully God, but he was also fully human. And physically he would get tired, he needed to eat, he needed to sleep, he needed to use the CR just like everybody else, he had to get a haircut, had to get his beard trimmed, had to brush his teeth, just like everybody else. And sometimes we forget that about our Savior. He did that so that we would understand that he understood what we were going through. Some beautiful teaching out of Hebrews to get into that. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. There was a lot of prejudice. Remember, the Samaritans were, were considered half-breeds, mestizos. They were half-Jew and they were half-something else. The Samaritans came from the ten tribes that Walked away from the temple and built their own false religions, and and had all kinds of false gods, and, and this, they were considered intermarried and all kinds of stuff. And it was there was just a lot of bigotry and a lot of prejudice there. And this woman, forgive me, she had an attitude about it. She said, "Why would you ask me for a drink? You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman." This woman had an attitude about the prejudice that she had experienced now brothers and sisters let me just put something in here right now you know I, I, I grow weary with all the victim mentality in the world today you know even even among our cub in the West that's it's oh we're people of color and the white people treat us so badly and and you know the Mexicans treat us badly and and the blacks treat us badly and the whites treat us badly and you know what, folks, forgive me, it's a fallen world out there. You know, Have you ever heard me whine and complain about all the prejudice that Sister Bev and Shasha and I have experienced for 40 years as your pastor? Now, inside the church, well, problem, problema, but outside i na not cool. Sometimes it's, it's difficult, but you know what? It's a fallen world, and you you don't walk around with a victim mentality with a bad attitude all the time. At some point, you just got to get over that. Now, now, look at what Jesus said here. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God, he said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink of water, you would have asked him and he would have given to you living water. In other words, Jesus said, you know, you're focused on this prejudice. You're you're focused on on the victim mentality that you have. And he said, you know what? You need to get focused on who I am. Wow. Wow. Now, now if, if you were to ask me what challenges a lot of young people today in this, in this victim mentality world, you know what, you need to get your mind off of the problems you face in a fallen world and get your mind on Jesus who's standing right in front of you. I mean, please, I know that's really blunt and that's, that's really hard straight in the face for first thing in the morning, morning devotions, Deba. But you know what, sometimes you just got to do that. Yeah, well, you know, the Chinese did this to me, or the Ilocano did this to me, or the the Tagalog did this to me, or the Siwano did this to me, or the the Hong Kong Chinese did this to me, or the Singaporean did. At some point, you know what? It's a fallen world. It's a fallen world. The world has been corrupted by sin. Of course there's prejudice. Of course there's bigotry. Of course there's hatred. Of course, please, of course. And of course, you have been mistreated, I'm sure. I don't debate the truth of it. I just challenge your response to the truth of it. Let me say that again. I don't debate the truth of your experiences. I simply challenge your responses to those circumstances. Get your eyes off of your problems and get your eyes on knowing who Jesus is. Verse 11. The woman said to him, Sir, You have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where will you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks from this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him. Not outside of him, in him, a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now, I got to be careful not to preach on this because this is the beautiful outpouring of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus gives us the drink, when Jesus gives us a drink of this living water of the Holy Spirit, Jesus talks about the drink, Paul talks about the drink, drinking of the Spirit. When Jesus gives you a drink, something changes on your insides and you become a well. You become a source. You become a, a spring of living water. And the, the Holy Spirit flows out of you and touches and changes peoples around your life. And now please forgive me, but the, the first thing this woman had to get over was, number one, her bigotry. And you know what? I, I, don't, I don't challenge any experience she had. You know what? She probably had a lot of horrible experiences with a lot of Jewish people. But that's not who Jesus was. So before she could get touched by Jesus, she had to get rid of her bigotry. So the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And Jesus had to go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you have now, the guy you're living with and sleeping with, is not your husband. What you have said is true. And the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Yeah, thank. Okay. So the first thing that she had to get over to receive this drink of living water was her bigotry. The second she had to get over was her sin. She had to face the truth. She would had five men. And the one she's living with and shacked up with right now, sleeping with right now, she's not even married to. She said, our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is a place where people ought to worship. And he said to her, woman, believe me, The hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. Now notice, again, we get back into the bigotry. The Jews said the Samaritans worshipped in the wrong place, therefore they could not be saved. And Jesus said, it's not about place. Jesus said, it's not about place. It's, it's about, it's not about place. It's about God. The hour is coming and now is here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Now again, I'm moving through this quickly or I, I Be lost here for hours and hours and hours. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he, the revelation. Now, isn't it fascinating that Jesus did not walk into the temple courts and say, I'm the Messiah? Isn't it fascinating that Jesus didn't walk into every synagogue and say, I'm the Messiah. But in an encounter with a woman who first responds to him with victimization and bigotry, a woman who lived a very sexually immoral life, a Samaritan woman, he reveals, I am the Messiah. Now, you have to understand what I look at when I see this. I think of the great Samaritan revival in the book of Acts, and I believe the seeds were planted for it here. I believe the seeds were planted for the huge Samaritan revival here. What was taking place right here was Jesus planting the seeds for the book of Acts Samaritan revival. Now you need to think about that one for a bit. Just then his disciples came back and they marveled that he was talking with a woman. She's a Samaritan woman. What's he doing talking to her? But no one said to him, what do you seek or why are you talking to her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. Now imagine... In this small Samaritan town, a woman who's had five men. Everybody knows this is a sexually immoral woman. And she comes into town and tells everybody, come see a man who told me everything I did. Come see a man who talked to me about my sins. I think it's Messiah. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food that you don't know about. So the disciples said to one another, has someone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said, and this is a key passage, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Now, this this is one of the great verses. This is a great truth. What does food do? Food is what gives you strength. It sustains you, you Deba. It's what keeps you going. When you don't eat, you get weak. The thing that Jesus said gave him strength and kept him going was to do the will of God and was to accomplish, another translation says, finish his work. Now, beloved, when people talk to me today about burnout, oh, we work so hard, we're just burned out. Why are you burned out? Are you not doing the will of God? See, you, you, you can't burn out doing the will of God because you are sustained Jesus said, my food, the the thing that sustains me is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish or finish his work. He said, do not say yet four months and then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Now, what did he see? He saw all of these people walking across the fields from the town coming to him. Yeah. Yeah. Now, they may not have been the Jews in the temple courts. They may have been Samaritans that they they thought everybody was unclean. But Jesus said, that's the harvest. You see, folks, the the modern church wants to evangelize the rich and the influential. Jesus came to seek and save sinners. He came to seek and save that which is lost. You, you, You can't Go out and, you know, it's, it's like fishing. You know, if you talk to a Western fisherman, he wants to tell you how big of a fish he caught. It's like some preachers. Let me tell you about the big fish I caught. I got this senator saved. I got this businessman saved. I got this politician saved. I got this artista saved. But in Bible times, fishermen didn't brag about the size of a fish. They talked about the size of the catch. Because they were net fishermen. Now, Jesus is saying the fields are white unto harvest. Beloved, we have over 100 million Pinoy now in our nation. When I first became your pastor 40 years ago, we were about 60. The church, the rebirth rate, is not even keeping up with the birth rate. As a church, forgive me, as Christians... As pastors, we have to admit we have failed. We we have not evangelized our nation. I'm sorry. People don't like it when I say things like that. Because people want to go after the big fish, and they want to disciple the elite. Oh, I'm doing a discipleship course for the elite. I've got this little Bible study, and I have these, these elite people in it. Our job is to go into the highways and byways. Our job is to go out into the fields and seek and save that which is lost. And Jesus is trying to teach this to the disciples. And in the face of the bigotry, in the face of the prejudice, in the face of the victimhood, in the face of all of that, Jesus said these fields are white unto harvest. And the great revival of Samaria came because of this. He said already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that which for you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town. Now, you know, you've got to be careful with this verse because there are preachers that use this verse as recruiters. Okay, these are, these are guys who just go and proselyte people from other churches. And they say, well, we're reaping where we did not labor. No, you never went into the harvest field. You went into somebody's barn and picked up the stuff and, and brought it back to your barn. Okay, that that's not laboring. Okay, you got to go to the harvest field to labor. So we, we've got to recognize there are some people who have gone out there and they planted. They've been out there. They've been sowing. They've been out there. They've been planting the gospel seeds all across our nation. And I just believe that we have a field. We have a nation ready to harvest. A man asked me one time, Pastor Summerall, how are we going to get 200 churches open? I I said, I need pastors who are willing to leave Metro Manila. And and Willing to leave the nice life of Metro They don't want to be a BGC preacher. They don't want to be an Artigas preacher. They don't want to be a Makati preacher. They, they want to go to the Tondos. They want to go to the Pandacans. They want to go to the Romblons. They, they, they want to go to the Malabons. They, they want to go to the they want to go where people are. And I said, that's what we need. Laborers for the harvest field. Not laborers to stay in the barn. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with him. And he stayed there two days. (laughs) You know what? That would have really made the Pharisees and the high priest really, really angry. All right? He stayed with them in Samaria. The people that the Jews used to say, thank God I was not born a dog, a woman, or a Samaritan. They actually have that in their religious books. And many more believed because of his word. So he spent two days teaching them. This, were the, this was the seeds for the Samaritan revival. In Acts 2. Oh, I'm sorry, Acts 8 and 9. Verse 42, they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this is indeed the savior of the world. The high priest wouldn't face this. The Sadducees, the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin court would not face this. But these half-breed Samaritans that the Jews put down every day of their life, We know that this indeed is the Savior of the world. How Jesus' heart must have felt. After two days he departed for Galilee. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. And when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. Wow. There's some amazing stuff in there. Oh, but we're, we're spending too much time on it. I'm out of time. Let me walk you through Proverbs very quickly. Proverbs chapter 22 for a little bit of wisdom today. A good name, your reputation, is to be chosen rather than great riches. Which do you choose? A good name or five million in the bank? Choose the good name. See, a good name will bring more blessings. And favor is better than silver or gold. What would you prefer? That God gives you money or that God gives favor upon your life? You should always pray for favor. See, it it amazes me how many Christians pray for money when they should be praying for favor. Favor is better than silver or gold. Favor will produce prosperity. The rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. The prudent sees danger, and hides himself. But the simple go on and suffer for it. You've heard me teach that a thousand times. Now this is a big one. The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches, honor, and life. So if you will live a humble, respectful of God life, God will give you riches, Honor and life. Just that simple. This is a reward. The reward for humility and honor or humility and respect for God is riches, honor, and life. See, sometimes, look at this. Riches, silver, and gold. Okay? There are things better. Look at this passage. The focus is not on riches. The focus is on what brings riches. The lifestyle. Quit praying for money and say, Lord, help me live humble. Quit praying for money and say, Lord, help me have a heart that respects God. That will bring riches, honor, and life. Thorns and snares are in the way of the crooked. Whoever guards his soul will keep far from him. Now look at the New Living on that. Corrupt people walk a thorny, treacherous road. Have you ever walked a thorny path? You have a lot of wounds on that path. So, you know, this is is the life of the corrupt. Train up a child in the way he should go. And even when he's old, he will not depart from it. Now this idea of train up a child in the way he should go, it's like putting a child on a set of tracks, train tracks. When you get a child on a set of tracks in life, patterns of life, these these are what I would call patterns of life. When you train up a child in patterns of life that are proper, even when they're old, they won't depart from it. So parents, it's not teaching your kids what to do. It's teaching your kids what to do, why, and how. All right. We're out of time today. God bless you. We'll see you tomorrow morning, 6 a.m. morning devotions. And tonight, tonight we're getting back into the prayer life of the apostle Paul, seven o'clock. We'll see you then.